Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, April 2nd, 2021. Well, today we arrive at the day that is known as Good Friday, and that may seem like an ironic title as today we remember the most tragic thing in many senses that ever happened in the history of humanity where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one through whom the Bible says all things were created, was nailed to a cross and died a a sinner's death, a criminal's death. And as we know from scripture, he did that for the sake of our sins. And that's why we call it Good Friday, that although it may seem like a tragedy from a human perspective, it was actually God's plan. And it was God's plan for a purpose to provide redemption for sinners like you and me. And God has given us a very powerful way to remember this day uh, and really the act, the crucifixion of Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. And probably many of you listening to this podcast, if you're attending a service with your church tonight, you will probably be partaking of what we call the Lord's Table together, where we remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ being, the body being broken, the the blood being spilled for us and for our sins. And we read about the institution of that practice as we go through Matthew 26, 14 through 29 today. And we see this, we, we start with Judas agreeing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and then he goes on to celebrate the Passover. And notice Jesus seems, well, not just seems, he is totally in control of all the circumstances. Even though Judas is out to betray him, Jesus is working to set up this Passover meal someplace where Judas doesn't know ahead of time where it's going to be. So Jesus shows really his knowledge, his his planning, his mastery of the situation. He is absolutely in control of how his betrayal, how his crucifixion is going to happen. But then when they gather to celebrate this Passover meal together in these last few verses, verses 26 through 29, we see the institution of the Lord's Supper. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when they had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so now we see this practice that we still practice in our churches today, which we call the Lord's table often or communion, where we take the bread and we take the cup and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, what is going on when we do that? That has been a debate often throughout the history of the church. Uh, The teaching of the Roman Catholic Church was and still is that the bread and the cup, that it becomes in a very literal way, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And in the time of the Reformation, this was rejected because it's unbiblical. And I think it ultimately amounts to an attempt of a re-sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which the Bible makes it very clear. No, his sacrifice was done once and for all. But even as you look amongst the reformers, there was some debate about what this meant. And even someone like Martin Luther trying to teach that it, while it did not become the body, the actual body and the actual blood of Jesus Christ, that Christ was somehow literally present, right? And he would point to Jesus says, this is my body. Well, I think the best way to understand it was what is often referred to as a memorial view of the Lord's table, where note that this does not become the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And even as Jesus says, this is my body, as one of the reformers point out, well, when Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep, are we thinking that Jesus is saying he's literally a door? Uh, No, uh, he's saying, I think this, this symbolizes, this represents his body. And even we see in the other gospels and quoted in uh, first Corinthians, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And even that idea of memorial is connected to that word remembrance. And so I think as we celebrate the Lord's table, what we are doing is we are remembering. But what I want to point out to us today is that I think in our culture where we're not really used to a lot of traditions, we're not really used to to symbolism, especially not in a religious context, we start to think that if something is just memorial, it's somehow not powerful. And I think that's absolutely not true. I think as we partake of these elements and we remember, that should be incredibly powerful. Even though I don't believe that it becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ or that he is somehow literally present in the elements. uh, No, it's still powerful because what is real is that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And God, all throughout scripture, as we'll see even later today in our reading, God loves to give his people even very tangible reminders, things they can taste or touch or even smell that will remind them of what he has done. And this is meant to be a powerful time to to slow us down and to help us remember what Jesus did for us. And that's why hopefully often as we partake of communion, we give ourselves time to stop and to reflect and to consider. We should use that time to intentionally remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And this is why the Bible makes it very clear we should not take this lightly. We should examine ourselves. This is not something even that unbelievers should partake in. Or if we're holding on to some kind of sin in our lives, the New Testament and First Corinthians speaks of taking the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, right? And even the consequences of that being severe, that even it says, this is why some of you are asleep, which means this is why some of you are dead because you are taking this in an unworthy manner. So even as we remember that it's still an incredibly powerful thing. And as you plan to celebrate this Good Friday, and many of you, as you take communion with your church family, I hope you look forward to that as a powerful time that should transform your life as you consider the gravity and the reality of what Jesus did for you, that his body was broken and that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your 
sins. And may that help you take sin seriously. May that fill you with thanksgiving as you take seriously and incredibly graciously what Jesus did for you. I hope this is a powerful time to remember. I don't think in our culture, especially people do so well with things that feel like rituals or traditions. There is a place for those things and the Lord's table is one of them. But one thing that we do tend to do sometimes is to start to think that just in and of itself, just doing a ritual somehow is good for us. And we're going to see some pushback on that idea now as we go to Romans chapter two. And here it'll talk a lot about circumcision, but I think I would encourage you even to think about the context of something like baptism or the Lord's table. And he really, again, remember in chapter one, he's focusing on kind of the pagan culture. And then in chapter two, he's starting to focus on people who are more religious. It seems clearly he's talking to even a Jewish community here as he is calling them out for really a false trust in circumcision, thinking that just because I am circumcised, therefore I am good. And verse 25 says, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision, right? And he goes on to say that this physical circumcision isn't what it's all about. It's about the circumcision of the heart. And he's really trying to make a point with them that, hey, you know the law, but just knowing the law doesn't score you any spiritual points when you break the law. And okay, you're circumcised, but uh, this external ritual action doesn't by itself score you any spiritual points. And so as you think even about something like the Lord's table, don't just think that the act itself, just somehow going through the motions of the ritual somehow scores you spiritual points. That's never been what rituals were about in the Bible, even in the Old Testament. The value is going to come not just from going through the motions of the action itself. It's going to come from actually remembering Jesus and what he did for you. And that's why it's important that we get the substance behind the ritual right. And that's why it can be hard for us to do these things right. Because on the one hand, we're tempted just to throw it out and act like it's unimportant on But then on the other hand, sometimes we think it's just about the actions of the ritual itself. And no, it's always supposed to be about the meaning behind it. And we see some of that here in Romans chapter 2. But also there's the good reminder for us that, hey, if you grew up in a religious background and you know the Bible and and you go to church and there's a lot of good external things going on in your life, well, that doesn't necessarily change your heart. If you show up before Jesus on Judgment Day and say, well, hey, I I know the books of the Bible by heart and I went to church and I took the Lord's table. Well, if that was not met with true faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's not real Christianity. Real Christianity has never been something that goes from the outside in and starts with rituals. No, it's always been something that goes from the inside out. It starts with a, a heart. And here it talks about the circumcision of the heart. And this is all really building towards chapter three in Romans, where he's going to put it all together. Hey, whether you're a pagan, uh, worldly person, or whether you're an externally religious person, all have sinned. And we all need the salvation that can only come through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And even as we think about rituals and traditions, now we go back to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy 15 through 17. And here, especially in chapter 16, it's going to talk about Passover and the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths. It's going to talk about these different holidays that they had. 
And I want you to see, even as we read about these things, it was not different in the Old Testament. Whereas, hey, in the Old Testament, going through the motions of Passover, that's what saved people. No, the Bible makes it clear, and we're going to get to this in a few days in Romans, that no, it's always been through faith. And even if the people were doing Passover and the Feast of Booths, it was an expression of their faith. And I'd say even in a somewhat similar way to how we should approach the Lord's Supper today, that just doing it, just going through the motions doesn't score us spiritual points. It's about faith and actually using that as an opportunity to strengthen our faith as we remember what Jesus did for us. The point of some of these feasts were to remember things that God had done for them, the Passover, to remember their liberation from Egypt, the Feast of Booths, to remember how God led them and provided for them through the wilderness. So there we see some of these Old Testament things, and I think we should see some parallels, and we should be cautioned again that it's not just going through the motion that is of value. It's really remembering what God is trying to remind us of, which in the case of the Lord's Supper is the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. But in Deuteronomy chapter 15, we see something interesting as it talks about the sabbatical year, which was, remember, every seventh year, not just the seventh day they would rest, but the seventh year they would let the land rest. And another part of that was this was by design and certain debts would be released during these Sabbath years. This was a way to care for the poor in the nation of Israel. And we see that that was a priority for, for God when someone that was their brother, someone that was a part of their nation, uh, somehow, as it says in verse seven, should become poor. Well, there, there was a system in place and there was ways that people could care for this person. And when we see a similar element to that as we finish up today in Psalm 41, as we read verses one through seven, notice how it starts. In verse one, it says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. And so here it's basically saying God is going to bless those who are generous. And in this case, it talks about the generous people as being those who consider the poor, right? Well, I think we can kind of connect that with what we're seeing in Deuteronomy, that especially within the nation of Israel, God was saying, hey, you guys need to look out for one another and you guys need to take care of one another. And I think that's something we do need to think about in our own lives, that God still wants us to be generous people and generous in all kinds of ways. And I think in one of these ways we even see reiterated in the New Testament is to care for the poor. Now, what should that look like? Well, let me just give you one place to start. We're not necessarily thinking about the nation of Israel, but think about your church community. And just think, if there were a need that were to arise from someone you knew in your, your church, if something were to happen to them where they were in financial need, would you step up to help them out? If someone in your small group couldn't meet some need that they had, would your first thought be, how can I help? That's where God wants us. God wants us to be people who are generous and care about the needs of others around us. And that's something that we see here today. And ultimately, we got to remember that we cannot outgive the giver. We are to be generous with other people because God has been generous with us. And what better day for us to remember the generosity of God than Good Friday? 
as we remember him giving his son for us. And so I hope you have a great day remembering what Jesus has done for you. And if you're a part of Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, I would love to see you tonight at either 5.30 or 7 p.m. at Pathways Middle School as we spend some time remembering Jesus Christ together and taking communion as we remember what Jesus has done for us. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.